listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello, 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 and Benny, what is going on in the NHL today? This is the Stanley Cap Stanley Cup Stanley Cup recap episode. This is the NHL Draft Live right now episode. This is the all-in-one shebang bang. Benny, what up? Yeah, we got a ton of shit going on, uh, but it's just been a while since we recorded, big boy. So how you doing? I, I am good, pal. How are you? A- anytime you-, you seem this chipper, it sounds like you're about to drop a bomb on me. So I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, you get married over the weekend or something? No, good. Congrats, no. man. Hope it was great. <laughs> It's it's been so long. I'm married and have two kids now, just like you. <laughs> just just growing right up, right before my eyes. Um, but yeah, a ton of shit going on. I know. Usually we would have a full like Stanley Cup final recap. Congratulations to the champs. The most I'll say, and most time that I'll spend on it is to say congratulations to the Avalanche. I will say, when you look back at the list of Stanley Cup champions that you pre- periodically do and go, who won this year? And you just want to see, look back five, not even five years from now, two years from now, no one's going to even remember that the Avalanche played the Tampa Bay Lightning and sound like a final. What a snooze fest. Like, for the two of the best teams in the league, there's no storylines. There is no holy shit moment that you'll think back on uh, to remember the series by, I mean... Colorado was the favorite going into the season. They win the cup. I'm glad the boys like McKinnon and Landis Cog got theirs. But other than that, like I'm ready to move on. The the only things I will touch on from recap of the Stanley Cup would be uh, Andre Vasilevsky, not the Andre Vasilevsky that we have known previously. He was like that whole uh, playoffs long. Yeah, he he was just not uh, the guy that we usually thought he was. A lot of hot um, been playing though, so. No, I, I agree. I think, of course, of course. Sorry, I, I just got an email that, um, you know, shit's not happening the way I wanted it to go. But um, anyways, yeah, he played a lot of hockey, but he just did not seem like his normal self completely. Yeah. Uh, going the other way, I'll tell you, Bo Byram impressed the shit out of me the whole way. Um, what a stop. I had to parade the most. Oh, dude, I, I thought the parade was great. I mean, he, do, he does look like a 12-year-old on the fly. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, the, everyone knows what Kill McCarr brings. Yeah. But but you look at it, it's like Gerard got hurt in that St. Louis series. Byram steps in and plays every possible scenario for them. PP, PK, five on five. Like, kid was outstanding and solidifies himself as a top-pier defenseman in the NHL. And he's going to make a shit ton of money. Expendable. Oh, I mean, for the cap that, that, that decor, I mean, him, Taves, uh, Makar, Gerard, when he comes back healthy, I mean, I, I think at some point one of them's going to have to go. But I, I mean, yeah, and I, I'll say this too, uh, just, you know, I know we're foreshadowing and it's way too early, but um, there's absolutely no way the Colorado Avalanche can go back to back when Darcy Kemper leaves in your one and two or Pavel Francoeur and Alexander Georgiev. So that's all I have to say about that. I mean, Kemper, like, listen, he has the ring. His name is on a Stanley Cup, but they could have won with me between the pipes, man. Oh, no, I, and I agree. And the other part is, like, they say when he had that injury, 
he was going to the optometrist, you know, three times a day to retrain his eyes. And now he's going to go test free agency. He's out of his mind. Just because he won the cup, he is not going to cash in. Yeah, sure Not that, happening. I'm sure that was a short-term thing because if it's really a long-term eye injury, then no one's going to sign him. Um, but even before that, like, his play was just like, yeah, like, he's there. He reminded me of a uh, – oh, my God, I'm planking on a name. But it's basically like the, he's the Trent Dilfer. <laughs> Trent, yeah, legitimately. No, I, I, that's that is the perfect uh, comparison. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, congrats to them, Tampa Bay, making three straight Cup finals. A cup, yeah, Cup final. A lot of hockey, a lot of mileage on those legs. They've already started to peel off more of the core, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, I'm just ready for the off season. Shocking as a Rangers fan. Ready for the summer, <laughs> um, but we'll get into all that. Uh, we're gonna let's, we're just gonna hop around. First things first. The Chicago Blackhawks. I know there's a ton of shit we're gonna address tonight. Fire sale, fire sale today. But there's a difference between a fire sale and a yard sale, and so. Chicago traded Alex DeBrinkett today to the Ottawa Senators for a first, second, and a third round pick. Mm-hmm. A nothing return. Like, who they get at number seven will never be as good as DeBrinkett. And I know they're rebuilding, and I know they say, like, he probably wouldn't have signed a long term deal with Chicago to spend his prime years in a rebuild. But if you drop an eight year, $70 million deal on his kid's table. You think he's going to reject it to not play in Chicago and be the face of the franchise moving forward because they might not be good for a few more years. Kids 24, 40-goal score, homegrown, out the door. For first, second, third-round picks, apparently they turned down a second overall pick straight up for DeBrinket because they wanted quantity. Good. Great deal. So now you get... The player who's worse than the guy you would have gotten at number two, plus two uh, draft picks that, on average, only get an NHLer that plays more than 40 games in a career 20% of the time. Fantastic. Great great haul for DeMarket, man. And, then, and you've always loved odds. <laughs> <laughs> and then they followed up with another three-way trade, essentially, at the draft tonight involving the Islanders and Canadians, where they trade Kirby Doc to Montreal for the number 13 pick and a third-round pick. And they just pick right now with the seventh pick, Kevin Korchinski from Seattle. Uh, Silky D, man, he can move the puck, he can skate. Uh, I mean, it seems like the NHL is transitioning towards that way. But I Can mean, I ask, because I don't have his shit pulled up in front of me, how old is the guy they just drafted at number seven. Uh, 17, 18. Okay. So let's say it takes a five-year rebuild. And let's say because of how terrible they're going to be, he makes the team not this year, but next fall. He's going to hit arbitration the year they're going to be, quote-unquote, ready to start contending for a playoff spot again. And he's going to want out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good. Yeah. So why move on from DeBrinket when you're going to be in the same situation just somebody who's not going to be as good? Um, 
I just think at this point now, uh, there, there was rumors of them. They wanted to acquire or they wanted to put, um, I'm sorry. They wanted to put Seth Jones out there due to, they were stating they thought the team was going to be at a better place currently with a turnaround. So now they were trying to figure that out. Now, they've let go of Kirby Doc also today in a trade. And at this point now, how do you still have Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane? Because of that cap hit. That's the only reason why. But, I mean, if you're selling people at this quick or this much of a a bargain basket today. You're trying to tell me you couldn't eat two mil on each of their deals, so you'd have to just keep four mil for the next two years on the cap. So that's the you're thing. gonna have all entry levels. Yeah. So that's the thing. Um, everybody on that roster, if if the Brinket isn't worth keeping, no one on that roster should not be dealt over the next two months. Like, then what's the point of any of these guys? Like, none of them are younger than the Brinket, and better. So what's the point of keeping any of these guys? Just trade them all for picks and prospects and overall roster. When it comes to... I mean, they just... I know it was a different GM. They just signed Jones to that massive deal. I, They would have to eat money on him to get out of that deal and trade him. And then the return's going to be like there because of the cap hit. I just think to bring it... I mean, Kirby Doc had his issues ever since that injury. He hasn't really recovered from what he looked like he was going to kind of blossom into. But to bring it was your big chip and you got pretty much nothing for that level and a player at that age. Like what a fleece. I mean, Ottawa good for them. Like they had draft capital. They cashed it in. They get a 40 goal guy. who's going to play on a first line left wing. We'll probably play in the same line with Brady. Um, yeah. Batherson up there. So they're setting themselves up nice in the top six. The other part of that deal that I want to get into, the Islanders traded a first and a third for Romanoff. What? And, uh, a, I, I don't get that. But B, I mean, <laughs> they, they they got rid of Taves for what? It was a third round pick? I think it was two second rounders or something, or one second rounder. Like, that is like one that is like, Lou Lamarillo must be losing sleep over that one. Like, that's one that, like, just still baffles me to this day. I understand it was a cap point, but it's like, there's other people on that roster. You, you, tr- you trade Pellick. Uh, you <laughs> trade Pellick? I mean, fucking, no disrespect, Cal Clutterbuck. See you the fuck later. Yeah. Like, you know, I just, I, I don't get it. I mean, I know Lou has always been a guy in the sense of business is business and, you know, wouldn't want to take anything personal. That either way, whether it was for the team or for a player, but like, Lou, you got a lot of egg on your face for that one, man. Yeah. And I mean, credit to Montreal. They came in, they were supposed to take Shane Wright, who went four overall to Seattle, which is a spot that I love for them and for Wright. But they pick, in their minds, the best overall forward in a group who's a left winger. And then they still get. The third overall pick from 2018, who he's still young, can rejuvenate his career. And if he does turn around, he doesn't need to be this uh, superstar that he was supposed to be when he came out in his draft year. If he's just a quality number two behind Suzuki. And then they have the kid they just got first overall tonight. 
they have Caulfield under playing under uh, Marty St. Louis. They still need to figure out the gold hurt ending situation long term, but there's you can start seeing some of the building blocks here and not surprised with Gorton running a show. I mean, I am surprised in the sense of Kent Hughes being a first year GM. Yeah. Well, I, I guess now second year GM now goes into the draft and is wailing and dealing here. Like he looks like an <laughs> agent on the first day of free agency yeah. where you're getting all your guys signed. Like he is making moves and good for him. Like he went in there with, with a certain idea or whatever it was, knowing certain guys were available, went out, got them hit on the first pick of the draft. Like this kid jumped, yeah. jumped and, and he went over Shane Wright. Who's been projected as number one for the past three years. Yeah. I mean, it's a. I think it's very well played in a sense of they basically turned Romanoff and a third round pick into Kirby Doc. Yeah. So you can't really hate that because Romanoff's a nice little player, young. He could turn into like a mainstay second pair defenseman uh, for the Islanders, but when you have a chance to take a flyer on a guy who can be a quality top six center with size and two-way ability, you fucking do it. So even if Doc doesn't turn out to be anything from Montreal, you got to take that flyer every time. I, I think you have to. And I think with what is going on right now, I think Martin St. Louis is the coach. There is a perfect spot for these young kids to go and churn around their career and be to the point that they are right now. Like, I think this is a perfect landing spot for Doc. Yeah. And a couple other deals, I guess, that have gone down. You mentioned it earlier. The Rangers finally got rid of the pouting, spoiled brat, Alexander Georgiev. Uh, they sent him to Colorado. They got two third-round picks and a fifth-round pick for him. So a third and a fifth in this year's draft and a third in uh, next year's draft, which there were rumors that the Rangers were going to have to just uh, not qualify him, and he would be a free agent because of the lack of a market, and they got three mid-round picks for him. So not as high of a value as he probably had two years ago, but pretty nice return there, get him out of the locker room, um, and kind of move on. Solid return. Rangers are going to go cheap for backup and goal. I mean, Casey DeSmith just re-signed with Pittsburgh. Uh, Flurry, not that Flurry was going to come to the Rangers, but he re-signed a two-year deal with Minnesota. So my best, my gut tells me Comrie is going to be some, the backup for the Rangers this coming year. I was like, I've seen Comrie be a big name for a, a lot of backup potential around the league this year. Yeah, so so, hit it at the right time. Yes, I think that's one a move there. Um, hold on, sorry, just reading something real quick. Got a Rangers alert. Uh oh. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, this is all live right now with the draft, but Larry Brooks is reporting that. The Rangers are in talks to acquire Dylan Strom and Patrick Kane from the Chicago Blackhawks with the Blackhawks retaining 50% of Kane's salary. 
Nemeth going back in a deal to help with a cap hit and matching one year, $4 million deals for the Strong Brothers. Interesting. Okay. So Ryan's in a hometown uh, discount to play with his brother. I, I just want to know what you guys are giving up the other way because it ain't just fucking Patrick now. <laughs> I'll tell you that right, tell you that right now. I, I'm assuming like, Heedle's going because if you're getting – I mean, this is all rumored. It's, nothing is official there. It's just shit you see on draft night. But if that actually – some form of that does go down, like you have Mika and his own brothers, one, two, three. So Heedle's probably going to Chicago and then – to be honest, Chicago should probably just flip him for prospects or future picks. Um, I wonder if they'll try for Kako too. Dude, if I'm the Rangers, like, listen, you know, you're going to take what we give you. Like, Kane's, <laughs> like Kane's not going to show up to camp. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking on the fly here. Let's say I don't think that's going to happen. To be honest, because Brooks sometimes talks out of his ass. But if that goes down, what the Rangers' top nine would look like. So you would have Kreider, Mika, and Kane. Panarin, Strom, and Kako. Lafreniere, Strom, and Sammy Blay. And then Tyler Amat and Goodrow as the start of your fourth line. It looks like a good top 12. Oh, fuck. Shit. When's... Puck drop, baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll see if that actually happens. I put that at probably like 5%. Anyway, so... Yeah, I'm blank. I'm blanking right now just thinking about that. <laughs> um, focus, focus. So the other thing I wanted to hit on quick before we get kind of lost in it is what's going on with Kaprizov in Russia. Yeah, a little wild and crazy. So... Uh, Fedorov, or, or Fedotov. <laughs> yeah, so the Philadelphia Flyers goaltending prospect who was supposed to come over ended up gets getting picked off for obtaining a fake military ID and was going around uh, his service time. And then when they found out he was coming to North America, they pick him off and then they ship him up to Arver... Arver Arvorosk, just in the middle of the Arctic. Like, he's a, he's in the Navy, Russian Navy base in the middle of an Arctic on a submarine. They, they basically just arrested this kid and took him away. Insanity. Like, crazy, dude. Yeah, they, so apparently the largest story is a couple players from one of these, the KHL team that Kaprizov is on, got fake military IDs from someone in the Russian military to avoid service. And like you said, this one guy got taken into custody and sent to prison. And there are rumors that Kaprizov is the other person. Now he's wanted in Russia. The initial report said he fled to the U.S. already, but now they're saying he's still in Russia somewhere and on the run. So... If you're Minnesota, listen, I made the prediction last offseason that in the, before the end of this deal that he signed with the Wild that he would end up back in Russia. I didn't mean like this. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you had some insider trading, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but what happened, like, I know it's not baseball or football, but you can't let, I mean, it's different. He's, he's a Russian citizen, so it's not like Brittany 
Grenier, who's currently arrested in Russia right now, who's American. But you can't let an NHL star get arrested and put in prison. And then you have the Minnesota Wild sitting there being like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I was hearing it, and I was like, I thought they originally let these guys go, but there's no, no way there's a talking. whole other system. Yeah, there's no way he, he should allow himself to get caught. Like, obviously, he knows that. If he's not out of Russia by now, he's never getting out. Like, you, this story broke, like, three days ago, three or four days ago. Like, if he's still there trying to find his way out as someone who has money already, has an agent that can help him, an agency, the NHL is probably helping him uh, behind the scenes with their lawyers in New York. If you're not out now and either getting smuggled out or on your way back to the States, I don't think you're ever getting out. Uh, I, I'll also say this, too. Um, Panarin last year. Yeah. When he took his leave of absence due to the things that were going on in Russia. Like, at this point now, if you are a Russian hockey player and you have the means to and you do not get your immediate family out, you are out of your mind. Yeah. It, it, it is a zoo over there. But the problem is they probably can't get out. Like, if they went to go to an airport or something, their names are probably on a list somewhere. Oh, no, I'm just saying before, like, if you got drafted today and, you know, all is good, you finally start making it, I, I'd pull my family out in a heartbeat. Like, uh-uh, uh-huh. no mas, amigo. You're, you're over here now. Yeah. So th- that's just another – it's – again, I know it's not a major sport in the U.S., it made the news, and then it died off because all of a sudden trades and the drafts started happening, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, Kaprizov. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy crap. Um, another holy crap moment yeah. was yesterday. Um, Brian Marchment. Yeah. Guys at 53. Um, in Montreal at the draft. In Montreal at the draft. He, he was up there with San Jose. Uh, I knew Mush from my time in Worcester. He was one of our development coaches. And what a guy, man. Just really nice, genuine guy. Um, thoughts and prayers go out to Mason and the family. I, I was That was not one I was expected to see get shot across the barge yesterday. I was a little blown away by that. Yeah, a real, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, a real son of a bitch to play against back in his day. <laughs> I, I legitimately would love hearing stories with Mush. Yeah. And, um, when he referred to himself as to... When I was younger and I was crazy, I would love when he would reference that. I would always smile across the way. And I could always see him look over at me, give me that little grin. But, oh, man, yeah, what a I guy. Mean, I only shared the room with him one time in our stint in Worcester. And that entire time, I just kept thinking this guy's going to take my head off because of his playing days. I was just like, not look at him the wrong way. <laughs> I... Uh... I will say, even as a development coach, just size-wise, ju- just the size he was, yeah. even in retirement, I was blown away by, I was like, like what a specimen. Like, just a big, big man. Yeah, if, if you guys who are listening aren't familiar, or even if you know who Brian Marchman is, and you just, you know, he retired years ago, go on YouTube and just search his name and just watch how he played. And just see how different hockey was in the nineties. <laughs> oh, dude, Mush was a, a man among men. Yeah, there's no question about that. Shame. Um, 50, 50 sticking, sticking with San Jose, uh, just announced. We are recording there, so just announced Tuesday. Mike Greer, 
as the new GM in San Jose, um, the first African-American GM in the National Hockey League, I think that latter part is irrelevant because I think Mike Rare is a great pickup here. Uh, Mike has been in management and administration now for a very long time. Knows hockey, been around it, been an assistant coach, been a scout, been an assistant GM. Like, like, very happy for him to finally make that move to the, I don't want to say the big leagues, he's been there, but, you know, into the big seat. Running the show. Running the show. And uh, I will also say this, I think that's where David Quinn ends up. I think that's going to be a BU hockey connection. Yeah. But I will also say this, what on earth was San Jose thinking that legitimately two days before the draft, they're naming their GM. That's like, why was this not taken care of months ago? Dude, don't get me started. I would just randomly text you during a week. We're not even recording or talking about hockey. I would just go, what is San Jose doing? (laughs) Yeah, just, uh, I I don't know. (laughs) So they fire their GM. Well, Wilson leaves months ago. And they start this exhaustive search. Now, here's the issue, and it's their first, this ownership group's first GM search ever. But here's the issue with their management style. It's too collaborative. So they, oh yeah, they interviewed 50 people in the first round. Then they narrowed it down to 13. Then they narrowed it down to five. Then they narrowed it down to two. All this time, like, listen, I'm not saying Greer was the best of what was left. That's not what I'm getting at. But you also start losing people because they can't wait around. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing. The biggest issue that I had, I mean, like you said, two days before they draft, they named him GM. So basically Greer's first, technically his first draft, he's just relying on the scouts that he didn't hire. Uh, And I was going to say, I was about to say, and, and who knows if he even keeps these scouts after this draft. Exactly. Like, you know, hey, you're not my guy. You're not my guy. Sorry. See you later. And it reminds me of what the Jets did a couple of years ago, the New York Jets, not Winnipeg, where they let their GM hire a new coach, sign free agents, make trades, run the draft, and then a week after the draft, they fired him. Why did you let him do all that shit? And it set the Jets back another three years. The real issue that I had, more so than a GM search, is the head coach, you knew he wasn't going to stick around. You knew he wasn't a fit. And whether you want to say, well, we were going to let the new GM make the decision on who was going to be the new coach. So even if we let him go earlier, we wouldn't have hired somebody before Greer was bought in. That's fine. But I'm more annoyed at the lack of respect that shows the boobiner. Like you Oh, yeah. You know how many head coaching name. jobs? How many head coaching jobs he missed out on? Yeah. He could have interviewed for other jobs or even as an assistant. Now he's out. I think letting him twist in a win sends a real bad message. Not for Greer because he wasn't there, but for the ownership group. It's like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Like, we have lives. Like, Boobner has family that needs to worry about and now it's july fourth weekend and they're like hey by the way we're letting you go he's getting, yeah, probably getting ready by the end of this month to start getting camp plans into play like that's a real bad look 
anyway, so Greer's Greer's and like you said, Quinn seems like a good fit. I don't know. Uh, I think it's either going to be Quinn or Gromberg because the ownership group is European and they like the whole analytical aspect of it. And I think Gromberg might fit there. But if they're truly letting Greer run the show, then I think I agree with you. Quinny's going to go there. Get the young guys in. Set the uh, environment in a room. Teach them the right way. And then just kind of hopefully make that transition uh, over the next few years in San Jose. But the other issue for the Sharks is you still have Couture to that big deal. You still have Carlson. You still have Burns. You just bought out Jones. You have that on your cap. You have Vlasic, Pickles, who's still there, that no one's going to trade for. You have so Couture. You can you're going to have to eat money on, but you can get a solid return for him. You're not going to get like a first round pick and top prospect, but you'll get a decent return for him at this point if you eat some money. The other three guys, like Burns, is still okay. All bio candidates. Oh yeah. And if you buy out all three, or even two out of the three, you have now hamstrung Greer in your rebuilding efforts for the next five years, five, six years. So, like, it's an absolute mess. I wish Greer nothing but the best because he's going to need it. Like, that is a real tough situation to walk into. And we called it with Carlson. We called it. (laughs) That that was a lot of money to give the man. Yeah. Uh, Trade in the draft just happened. Arizona gets pick 11 from San Jose. San Jose in return gets picked 27, 34, and 45. All right, so three picks in the first 50 for the 11th. All right. Stop now, Helps with the I middle. guess I guess the other thing we got to touch on because it's been so long, it has to be this NHL coaching carousel. Yes. It seems like people have finally landed. Uh, your thoughts on good landing, bad landing, or... What are you thinking with, with everywhere we've gone? So one thing that I like is Trotz basically saying he's not going to coach this year. Um, taking the year off, essentially. Were you surprised by that? I was extremely surprised because it seemed like basically once that Winnipeg job had opened, he was pegged to go there. And, you know, he was going home, blah, blah, blah. And then we find out that he recently just bought a house in Nashville. And then there's the rumors of he now wants to get into management. Yeah. And if he is going to get into management, I do believe that David Poyle, who was with him in Nashville for 20 years, would take him back in a heartbeat. And, you know, Barry could then learn that part of the game. But I, I was just I was shocked because it almost seemed like. That was a guarantee once as it hit the market almost. I, everybody thought he was going to Vegas, too. Um, the one thing that it serves a purpose with him still floating out there is any team that is considered a playoff contender or a legit cup contender this year, if they go on a six, seven-game losing streak in November, they're going to be like, fire the coach, bring in trots. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I think there's still a possibility for that, too. Yeah, so, I mean, he's coached consecutively for, like, what, 25 years in NHL? Yeah, So I think not more. A little bit of a break is well-deserved. Um, but, yeah, so that was the first thing that I thought really sets the tone for 
there in any type of in-season coaching change, but especially next offseason if he doesn't take a management role somewhere. Um, Boston lets Cassidy go, which we've talked about. First of all, first the possibility of it. Second, replacements. He ends up in Vegas. I honestly, I guess, undervalue Cassidy as a head coach. Um, I didn't think he was that sought after. I didn't think he was a bad coach. I just thought he was like, yeah, he's a good, solid coach. Vegas, basically, as soon as he became available, dropped everything and went hard after him. So he he ends up in Vegas. Um, Peter DeBoer goes to Dallas. I hate that. Like, I hate that. Oh my god! This is uh, this is what we talk about with the old boys club. Mm-hmm. And they said, and maybe this is because of something else that I'll get to. So they said a lot of head coaches did not want to go to Dallas because they knew that Jim Mill, the GM of the Stars, only had one year left on a his new deal. GM would bring in their own guy. Correct. So so they were nervous about that. So maybe. For DeBoer, this is just a, hey, even if I have a job for a year, at least I'm in the league. Yeah. But, uh, no, I just, I, I don't like DeBoer going there. I mean, I, just I, I feel like, yeah, I just feel like he's so many times, man. He's been here. He's been there. He's jumped all over the place a lot lately. And he just if moves. I think someone needs a break, it should be him. Yeah, he just moves. Like, there's no, like you said, there's no break. He gets fired on Monday. On a Wednesday, he takes a job somewhere else. Yeah, he, he just – a suitcase, complete suitcase. <laughs> like in the last – what is it? Let's say 10 years. Where has he been? San Jose, New Jersey, Jersey. Vegas, Dallas. Dallas. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't like that move at all um, on either side of it. Uh, Rick Bonus, who basically resigned from Dallas – if you want to kind of frame it that way, I thought meant he was just done coaching. Um, well, it, it was weird too how it, like the press release came out about how he was going to take time to, you know, uh, recharge the batteries in essence, blah blah blah, and then a month later he's in Winnipeg. Yeah, like there was no rumors about him interviewing anywhere or having interest, and then Winnipeg. Um, to me, this smells like. Something's rotten in Dallas, man. Like it, it, it seems that way. Yeah, they had that whole thing with the team president talking shit about the vets on the team. They uh, Montgomery is let go because I mean he had his own personal issues that led to that. But then Bonus comes in, and then Bonus decides I want no part of Dallas anymore. Essentially, gave some bullshit excuse to leave. He goes right to a division rival. And then they bring in Pete DeBoer, which is like, that's your search. You search with all the candidates that were available that we've talked about on online and offline. DeBoer is your choice. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. There's something off there. I mean, they, I know they went on that cup run, but they just, something seems just off about the organization. I'm very happy for bonus because I think Winnipeg, they're talking about maybe rebuilding, uh, trading Shifley or Wheeler. Uh, Dubois might not want to sign long term, but he still has two years till free agency. I say fucking go all in for the next two years. 
Like, you don't hire bonus because you're going to rebuild. Like, fuck it. If he leaves to go to Montreal as a free agent in two years, PLD, let him. At least you had a two-year run. You guys have a good roster. You're just, you have hell of a fucking goal. You just need to figure out maybe one more top five defenseman. And I think they're a playoff team under the, under the right coaching. So, yeah, screw it. Like, go all in, man. Follow the Columbus model. And speaking of coaching and how it changed, um, Brunette out in Florida. That was one that, like, I feel, and I mean, this is my personal opinion, I love Paul Maurice as a coach. I've said that from the beginning. But I felt that Andrew Brunette deserved, and rightfully so, the right to coach that team after taking over after the Quenville thing and as to how far that team had gone. Do I think that maybe Maurice would have been better in the playoffs for that team as to scheme and like as to what they had on Florida and maybe taking them a little bit further? Yes, but I did not see that coming. That was like swerve. Like, you know, you just went right through the road where you didn't look, you didn't stop, didn't even tap the brakes. And the guy in the passenger seat just shit his pants. (laughs) My thing is that because – there hasn't been a formal announcement about it, but it sounds like Brunette's staying with the Panthers. See, that that's the thing. So, I think Brunette said, said, I don't want to coach. Well, now that was the funny thing. So, like you said, at first they said they're offering him anything he wants to stay there. They want him to be like the associate head coach. And then it got real quiet because he never accepted <laughs> so no one knows as to what he's actually doing currently. Maybe he's just waiting to see what what other opportunities are there. Maybe San Jose gives him a call. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a, the new landing spot. I just, I was very surprised at that. And then your boys end up with... My boys? They end up with one of the two guys that I told you. I was like, if I'm making it... If I'm not rebuilding... I go for Montgomery, and I go for Montgomery. And I, I like the Montgomery hire. I did not want David Quinn. Yes, and, and not for I mean, the Yeah, no, no, no disrespect to Quinny. I, I, I just didn't want him here. And then I was a little skeptical about a first-time coach when they were talking about Jay Leach. Um, I, I just think that Montgomery has been a winner everywhere he's gone. USHL, NCAA. Outside of what had happened in Dallas when he had got let go, Dallas had a winning record under him. He developed a lot of that young talent, Rupe Hintz, uh, uh, Klingberg under him. Like, I, I, yeah, I just I think that he's a very good coach. And uh, like you said, I, I think we had a good landing spot for him with the roster that we have in place. He's going to be able to integrate some of the younger kids. And I think it'll be a nice, easy transition. My concern is, you know, all the Irish pubs up there. <laughs> no, I, th- I think he's officially off the sauce. <laughs> but, listen, I know, not personally for myself, but I know the addiction that he's going to have to fight every day for the rest of his life is no joke. But I think it kind of that whole experience might have given him, like, a silver lining outlook on it where – Nothing about a head coaching job is going to overwhelm him because nothing is as stressful 
or as life or death than what he does for his in his personal life. So like, oh, I agree a hundred percent with that. Like, I, I just opportunity, and- he's gonna relish that, and then anything goes wrong on in the game, he's just gonna be like, all right, guys, we got this. Like, listen, in the grand scheme of things, uh, too many men penalties, it's okay. <laughs> we'll be fine. So, I. Yeah, so it seems like you guys are going to continue kind of going for it. No rebuild in Boston, especially with uh, seemingly uh, Bergie coming back. Yeah, I, I do worry because we only have $2.5 million in cap space. Yeah. So we are going to have to trade the likes of maybe a Mike Riley or a Derek Forbert. They're both at $3 million a year. Uh, there's a report out today that the Bruins do not anticipate buying out Nick Felino, so that is three point eight million that we are gonna have with us for the season, which definitely could have been spent in other places. And I think on that end it's gonna make it extremely difficult. The rumors of David Krejci have resurfaced. Don Sweeney said he did reach out to David and as of right now, uh the ball is in David's court as to whatever his decision is. Um I do not mind the David Krejci experiment 2.0. I I don't. My only thing is you still have a huge gaping hole behind him in Charlie Coyle that's making five and a quarter million dollars a year, but he's only a third line center. Like that's, that's a problem. So I think we need to get through that. And one other thing that had surfaced, I think after we had spoken was, Don Sweeney promised Bruce Cassidy his job. Oh, yeah. And then after that, it seemed as if, and yet again, speculation, rumors, Cam Neely was the one who said he has had enough of Bruce and Bruce had to go. And then Don had to go fire Bruce. This is my beef, personally. If Cam Neely wants to run the show, I have no problem with it. I just don't want him having a scapegoat. If he needs to hire an assistant GM that is in charge of, you know, contract negotiation, cap compliance and all that, and that person is your legal guy slash money lady, like whatever it needs to be to be your assistant and you run the show, run the show. I I just don't want you after to say, oh, it's Sweeney. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Because even Neely came out after his exit, his thing and said, well, you know, um, the trade deadline was what really made me think Don earned his job because it was a contract year and that was what made him earn an extension. If you have to rely on the trade deadline, all the other work you're not sure about. Yeah. And to me, that's where you're like, "Uh uh-uh, doesn't work. And I don't know if it's because they played together, the longstanding relationship between, you know, Don has been with the team now as a player and in management for a lot of years along with Cam, so maybe there's that. But at the same time, Hey, sometimes things don't work out. Yeah, you know, and it's nothing personal. Business is business, but but on the other end, it's like, could we have brought in a different GM? Like, look in Colorado. Look at what they have drafted. Yeah. And I understand that they were a dumpster fire for a few years and had very high picks and all that, but their picks have hit. So maybe you look at Chris McFarland, who's a assistant GM out there. Or maybe you look at certain people in talent evaluators. Yeah, just other teams that have had a correct projection as to their drafting. And you know what? 
maybe that's where you need to go. It seems, I mean, Sweeney signed a multi-year extension. That was last week. So we're stuck with Don. And now it's just, he he is in a very tight spot. 2.5 million in cap space, and we still need to sign Bergeron. You're going to have to do some work. <laughs> yeah, like, like we got work. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm, my one issue with that, obviously you're more up on the behind-the-scenes and the day-to-day reporting of the Bruins. If Neely wanted him gone, you make the call. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like That's why I don't like the scapegoat part of it. And that's why I say, like, I love Cam Neely, but but I think for something like that, if you want to run the show, run the show. Like, just run it. Don't You don't need Don Sweeney. Like I said, you can get easily get a cap compliance guy or something like that to make sure that everything else is in full effect. So that that's just my beef with it. I have a couple beefs that I want to get off my chest since we last recorded, by the way. All right, lay it on me. First one is, I know it's a great year. 60 goals. If you take Austin Matthews off the Maple Leafs, they still make the playoffs. And you replace him with a league average guy. If you take Connor McDavid off the Oilers and replace him with a league average guy, they still make the playoffs. Barely. If you take Igor Shesterkin off the Rangers, they're picking top five this year. How he didn't win the Hart Trophy. I know exactly how. Joe Biden <laughs> and Ilya's Russian. Very, 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 very simple. Very simple. So what you're saying is Biden did that. <laughs> Biden, Biden did that. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> but I just don't understand. Like, it shouldn't. I We talk about this every year. We know it's never going to change, so it's insane to keep getting upset by it. Just because you're the best offensive player doesn't mean you're the most valuable player. Just because you put up the most points as a defenseman doesn't mean you're the Norris Trophy winner. Like, I don't get it. It's like saying the guy with the most shutouts should get the Vezina Trophy every year. Well, that doesn't mean he's the best goalie overall. No, I I agree, and... I think, unfortunately, this is part of the problem, though, right? For the year Igor had, it is insane. And I think if he has the same year again next year, he probably wins it. I just think right now, with it being his third year in the league, third? Uh, this will be his third full year. So his third full year in the league. I just think that, A, Austin had to win it ahead of Connor for their superstardom to go, especially with this going to ESPN. This is strictly towards a fan base and drawing people in and so on and so forth. And are you going to get more fans? And, and hey, it's, New York, you New can York. get a whole bunch of fans. <laughs> but I'm saying on the other end, if, if you're marketing a U.S. kid to the new audience on ESPN, there might be a bigger thing there, even though he plays in Toronto. Yeah. But I think going forward, this is the rivalry that they're setting. The Matthews-McDavid rivalry, just like when you had Ovi and Crosby. Just This is what they need to ensure viewings and boost to everything else. Now, my question to you is this about this. 
next year, if Igor falls off in any sort of way, numbers-wise, yeah, he's not even in a conversation here. For the heart? But for the heart. Yeah. You, for As a goalie, you need to have an all-time season to consider <laughs> the, top three in a heart. Uh, absolutely, and I agree. He, he had that season. Yeah. I, I just wonder if now the NHL, because how many times has Austin fell second place to Connor here? Yeah. Two, three times? So I think this is almost a, a copycat prove-it league like we've dealt with in years past where he needs to do it again next year for them to say, he's legit, we're giving it to him. So here's the thing. That's a hard pill to swallow because the year that Shesterkin had, I think statistically, was the best individual goalie season since the 1920s. How anyone's going to be like, well, you need to repeat that to be considered legitimate. And he's going to have a regression next year. And even if he regresses halfway, he's still a top five goalie in the league. But because he didn't have an all-time great season, he's not worth the hard trophy anymore. Like, I hate these old fucking writers, man. I mean, there is a graphic. I don't know if I sent it to you, but it was this. uh, Oh, you did. Yeah. The chart with goalies from 2007 to 2022 who have goals allowed per 100, like a lead in the league in that. And uh, shots faced, like difficult, difficulty shots faced. It's Shesterkin and then about 50 feet of dog shit and then the second place goaltender <laughs> since 2007. That's the type of year he had. So that was my first rant or beef is Shesterkin not getting the heart because, listen, I think he's an amazing goaltender. I think the Rangers lucked out again going from Lundqvist an all-time great to Shesterkin, who even if he's not an all-time great, he's going to be a franchise great if he stays healthy. They lucked out with that. I just think I we know how hard it is for a goalie to win a heart. So I don't know how many other chances he'll get to win that. Now, I, I'm sure he'd rather win a Stanley Cup than the heart. And I'm, I'd rather win a cup than him win the heart trophy. But... He's just he might not get another chance, and I thought he truly deserved it, not just as a Rangers fan. The other thing I wanted to vent about is, and this was spurred on by the Nick Paul signing with Tampa Bay. Can we stop with the seven-year fucking deals for everybody? Please. <laughs> uh, believe me, I'd like to. <laughs> Every fucking... If you're a third liner who can average 15 points or more a year, you're going to get a seven-year deal from somebody. It's The system is broken. The, the, the system's not broken. Like I, I just feel like th- these fucking people and GMs need to put their foot down because they, they get into these bidding wars with people. Like th- This was our problem with Lindholm where he accepted the trade here because we already had the extension written out for him for that. I don't like signing guys to a seven year that are already 27. He's going to get out of it at 35. He's not going to be the same player at 35. Well, how about Barkley Goodrow? The Rangers gave seven years to, and he's going to be 36 when the deal is over as a fourth. He's already a fourth liner. We knew that going in. And I second year of the contract. Yeah. And I know it lowers the cap hit. So when you're up against the cap, you'll, you'll pay the piper 
if it means you you'll win a cup in the first four years of that deal, three or four years of that deal, and you'll deal with it during your rebuild. You know, like I I understand, but there's a reason why the NHL put max contracts in of homegrown guys in your roster get eight years unrestricted. You can give a max of seven years too. I feel like those go to the elite of the elite. You get eight years, $9 million a year. You get seven times $9 million a year. Not to circumvent the cap and give Nick Paul and Goodrow and a 35-year-old Chris Letang six and seven years. I think it's fucking ridiculous. Like, it's just, to me, because we spend so much time talking about the business side of things, all that's going to lead to is buyouts and then cap problems. And then you're going to have fan bases and teams not be successful because, well, we don't have room under the cap because they're still paying off. Like the Rangers this past year, we had Shattenkirk, D'Angelo, Brad Richards, and Dan Girardi as dead weight on our cap. Like, that's why we were restricted in movement. You're going to lose forward momentum for organizations and interests and fan bases and all the um, side effects of not fielding as competitive a team as you might have been able to because god damn we got to find a way to sign nick paul like i, I mean granted it, it's not a high cap hit w- which is great yes but that's but, the whole point of seven year deal like to lower the cap hit and i think no, but, but he was what two and a quarter like, like he was minimum but but it's fucking nick paul yeah, like that's what I mean. Like when you hear seven-year deal, like if you go to baseball back in the day when the Yankees were just spending money to not win World Series, and they would sign Giambi seven years, hundred and forty million, Teixeira this, you knew those guys were getting six, seven, eight years because they were the number one free agent at that position. Now you go to hockey and it's like, oh, yeah, Nick Paul got seven years. But, hey, it lowers the cap. Like, oh, great. How exciting for a fan base. Tampa Bay fans must be creaming themselves because they got a lower cap hit. I mean, Latang though, today, six years, 36, six, six, one a year. Like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, for 35, soon-to-be 36-year-old defenseman who is injury-prone. And soft, too. He's so soft. So... Regression comes hard for defensemen, especially undersized defensemen. So that's going to be a bad deal probably in year two or three of that deal. I was going to say year two. Same thing. That also means Malkin's gone. Yeah. So, I mean, if Nick Paul gets seven years, if I'm Malkin, even at 35, you just see Latang get six. I want seven years. Yeah, seven and seven. Yeah, give me seven. Why not? Well, we can't. We don't want to give you seven years because, well, so you're saying I'm not as good as Nick Paul? So it throws the whole market off. And I know the NBA is extremely complicated with their mid level exception, Larry, the bird rights, oh, yeah. max the signing trades and the max deals. But this guy, you can't have two guys who were designated rookies 
from the same draft year on the same roster at the same. It's a fucking mess. We don't need that. But there's a now, reason why they have rules in place on who exactly can get max deals. Now, one other question I have for you, too, and, and we've talked about this once a while ago, is, hey, if I'm Nick Paul and I am taking that deal at, you know, two and a quarter, I'm in Florida. Like, like it's tax-free. Yeah. Like, it's not that big of a deal here. But if you go to New York, you're paying 20% in taxes. Like, you know, it's just yeah. like... So it kind of it gives certain teams the advantage, and believe me, I'm not saying that millionaires need the break. I'm just saying on the other end, is there something that the NHL could do to make it more fair across the board? That you know, obviously, state to state is very difficult, and you know, we're the free. We have us, we have Canada. There's the Canadian dot. Like, there's so many fucking variables. It just makes it very difficult. So. One area of the CBA that I think is the next area that's going to start getting uh, exploited by GMs that don't want to sign undeserving guys to seven-year deals, signing bonus. That doesn't count against your cap. No, but that signing bonus thing, though, me personally, it affects your team because – when you go and, and there's going to be another lockout, there always will yes. be. It's the NHL. Those guys the, are getting their signing bonus. The same GMs will cry foul. Oh, the system. Why do these guys get seven years? You signed them, you dumb fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think the other way on, like, you have these the, these things in place. And now, like, I, I forgot where I was going with this. You, you fucked me all up. Real oh, nice. With the lockout and the Sony bonus with your team. Oh, oh yeah. The, the, like, these guys are getting paid and everyone else isn't getting dick. Uh, like, they're sitting there going, when are we playing? Are we, are we not going to play? Are we not going to play? Like, 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 what's going on? <laughs> and now it's like, hey, is, is so-and-so at least going to buy lunch? We, we had to fly out here to this thing. We're not getting paid. So it's just, I feel like it causes friction amongst the guys. Get rid of the signing bonus. You keep the hard cap. I'm fine with the hard cap. You need to give something more to in-house talent that is yours and outside that isn't. So so maybe if you go outside talent, it's a six years for UFA. Maybe if you knock a year off, they're not going to be as lenient with their number. Yeah. I mean, the signing bonus, if I was the guy on a team, like as long as it – you you knew it was part of the overall structure of the deal. Like to me, what's the difference between signing a guy for seven years, $70 million with a 10 year, 10 million a year cap hit versus seven years, 30 million with a $30 million signing bonus. It's the same amount of money. Oh no, I know. I'm just saying that that's one of those ways where it's like uh, Petrangelo, for example, Yeah, you know, like, Technically, cap-wise, he's only six, but his AAV is 11 because he gets the signing bonus, but the signing bonus doesn't do this. But he's always getting that signing bonus July 1st. He's $6 million richer every July yeah. 1st. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that. I just don't like the seven-year deals. Before I get to my the last two things I want to hit on really quick, there are a few other trades that we forgot to hit on. Um so Montreal also got Dadunov from Vegas, and I liked Anaheim's tweet when it, the trade was announced. They were like, are you sure? 
<laughs> I thought that was great. That was funny. Uh, Kevin Fiala goes to the LA Kings in exchange for a Brock uh, Faber and the, the first round pick from LA in tonight's draft. Um, and the other big one, Brian McDonough goes to the Nashville Predators in exchange for a Philip Myers and Grant Mishmash. Um, that's part of what I referenced earlier with Tampa Bay already peeling away even more of their core because of cap constraints. To me, I the way Tampa Bay handle like listen, a business is a business, but McDonough is very well liked in that room. He's helped you won two cups, three consecutive conference finals, and you realize you're in a bad cap spot, and you go to him and you say. We want to move you. There's, there's no way we can afford to bring you back. Um, we want to trade you to Nashville. We have a deal in place that sends you to Nashville. We need you to approve it. And then apparently he says, I need the weekend. And Tampa Bay turns and says, if you don't accept a deal, we're going to place you on waivers and Columbus will claim you. So it's up to you where you want to play, Columbus or Nashville. Basically forcing him to waive his no-trade clause to go to Nashville and kind of just dumping them unceremoniously. Um, Listen, Tampa Bay is a veteran team, but if I'm a free agent signing a long-term deal, that might give me a little bit of pause there. Even if they say, hey, listen, we'll give you a no-trade clause, in my mind, it's like, how useful is that going to be if you're going to threaten me into waiting on the other end? Yeah. Like, it's not really a no-trade clause until you decide to trade me. Yeah, I mean, I I personally like the trade for Nashville, and I know you give up two prospects there, but yeah. you, you look at that decor. Yossi, McDonough, Ekholm, Fabro, Lozon. You still got Borokop there. You, you got Alexander Carrier. I'm like... Soros and goal. Soros and goal. I mean, if they can actually re-sign Forsberg, you, you would have Duchesne, Johansson, Granlin, Forsberg. You still got Col- Colton Sissons up there. Ely Toivonen, like I'm like, ah, Nashville looks pretty good to me. Do you think Duchesne can have another year like he had? No. I I, I don't think he's going to put up those numbers, no. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's think, like their forward group is still, ah, to me. I, I think he's uh, reawoken, I guess you could say. He's yeah. Revamped. I, I think he will have another good year, but as to the numbers he had, no. And do you think Forsberg is actually – an elite winger or was that just like a fluke career year and he's more of a, like a solid top six guy? I love Forsberg. I, I think he's been consistent the last, however many years. Um, we'll, we'll go back to 2014, 15, 63 points, 15, 16, 64, 58, 64, uh, 50 points, 48, 32, 84. But, I mean, the low years where one was a COVID year where the year was struck short and the other one was, let's see, he had 64 games played, 50 points. 63 games played, 48 points. 39 games played, 32 points. 69 games played, 84 points. Yeah, I think he's elite. point one is the one that I think is the outlier. Like, I think he settles in as a solid 50 to 60 point player. Um, my concern is Nashville signing him as if he's a 80 to 90 point 
for a year player. I, I just think the problem they have is some of the other guys that are on that roster. Like, if you sign Duchesne to that eight, that eight and eight, it, it's hard not to fucking do that for Forsberg, considering. I mean, Forsberg is at least consistent. Duchesne there has yeah. been a train wreck. I will say, I always like to remind Capital fans of that trade. Forsberg for Martin Erat. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last two little things I wanted to hit on, I wanted to congratulate the Senators for getting approval for a new arena in downtown Ottawa. Um, it's in Canada. Um, so... I know he's not around to see it, but I'm sure Melnick is looking down, being like, son of a bitch, they couldn't wait until I died. <laughs> yeah, he's probably said, oh, now they have money. <laughs> so I think they still need a couple environmental approvals or whatever. That might take a little bit of time, but I think their hope is to have the arena open opening night for 2025-2026 season. Which I think for a team that is as young as they are, and then if you actually put them downtown where people are going to yeah. get out of work, already be there. Like, I don't know, great hockey that, market, obviously. Yeah, I, I think that's going to completely alter A, their attendance, but B, the world is now on the upward spiral. I the think finances. It's, yeah, it's going to be a lot different for them. So that's a I good one. What, and the other. That fucking Pierre Dorian, man, he, he, he squeaks by and gets this shit done. <laughs> that trade call that was posted earlier today when he was just like, oh, yeah, we'll send a document over to you. He was probably like in his head being like, I can't believe this guy's agreeing to this deal for yeah. the blanket. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I just need to get off this phone. Yeah. I need to get off the I, phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll, don't worry. I'll send the email over to the league office. <laughs> yeah. um, and the last thing I want to hit on really quick, very happy about this. The Oilers are doing away with their fucking traffic cone uh, home jerseys. They're going back to their navy blue threads, which I think is a huge upgrade. I hated the last few years of them at home wearing those bright orange jerseys. And also, the Sharks did this too when they were in their yearly playoff run. Can we stop with the third jerseys being your home jersey suddenly when a playoff start? The Oilers did yeah. with their shit third jersey. The, black, the Sharks used to do that all the time with their black uniform after wearing teal all year long. Like, wear your fucking jerseys. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. It would be like the Rangers wearing Lady Liberty once the playoffs started. Which, I'm, I mean, it's a nice jersey, but like... Yeah, like, I'm, just, I'm not... Well, they could if they want. What? <laughs> Anybody like, else can. It's like, just wear your jersey. Can you imagine you guys, when you're going on a playoff run, you were wearing, like, the Pooh Bears? <laughs> yeah. To get deep with the poo. <laughs> uh, but that's all I had. I know we had a lot to catch up on. We kind of rambled and jumped around. Um, I think next time we record, we'll have our full Rangers Bruins offseason preview. Kind of questions going into the summer, possible roster fits, trades or signings or free agent targets. Uh, we would have if we were kind of running the show and any news that happens between now and then. That works for me. Any shout-outs this week? Oof, shout-outs. Uh, Jesus, I should have some. Um, the wife and kids? <laughs> yeah, the new wife and kids they haven't met yet. 
Uh, I'll just give a shout out to the Cobster. Um, been laying next to me being super quiet, even though I can tell she's getting impatient for some playtime. Um, and no, nah, I mean, I had a very nice long July 4th weekend, had Friday off Monday and Tuesday. So Dang. yeah, so I had a nice five day wraparound weekend, went out to Long Island. One of those days, I uh, went to a couple parks, um, uh, to the beach had some cookouts so it's very nice and relaxing and then it's tomorrow's already friday so this work week's over so it feels like a full like 10 day vacation that's good i would say i i got in one saturday yeah. I, got, I got i got a little buckle at the house i'm not gonna lie but uh uh we have to give a shout out we, we did have a loss in the family amanda's grandmother had passed away so we have the services this weekend so we'll have to uh mm. attend with all that um, one other thing, just going off of it too, I, I sent it to you via Instagram. It'll be in your DM. Oh, I see it right here. Hold on. The Shane Wright death stare at the Montreal Canadiens table. I fucking love it. Oh, I love it too. I thought he was too diplomatic in that Emily Kaplan interview. I, I thought he was great. And as for Seattle, good for them. Yep. Cause now you got Maddie Berniers and Shane Wright down the middle. And Shane and Wright two. has a chip on his shoulder. Oh, I was going to say, guarantee his first game in Montreal, he fights the other one. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, I like that outlook. When I was watching that interview, he gave a Kaplan when he's like, you know, I'm just happy to be in Seattle. Uh, the other teams obviously thought they were better players. Like, I'm really happy for the other guys. For me, I wish he did like the Brock Lesnar interview in the Octagon when he was just like, fuck them. They made a mistake. They're going to eat their shit for the next 20 years. I can't wait to see him in October. I just, I can't wait. I hope he went up there and he shook their hands and he goes, man, those other three teams. Fu-. Like, I hope he yeah. said that to Ron Francis and he's like, let's get on the plane tonight. And we got work <laughs> to do. Like, let's go. But, man, good episode. Very happy to be kind of back talking actual hockey shit. Like I said, the cut was kind of a dud for me. Um, but, yeah, we're in, we're in full off-season off season swing right now, man. Can't wait to see what the Rangers are bring. I can't wait to see what you guys do to try and get under the cap and fill out your roster. Yeah, I was going to say, Don got some work to do. <laughs> he, he, has to, he has to trade some pieces away, and I think we need to bring up some entry levels to uh, level it out a little bit. So, And for the Rangers, uh, I, I feel like see. we're just we're – we're constantly involved in like all these big targets. I feel like there's going to be a real blockbuster coming down for Broadway here. We'll, we'll see what happens. And I guess one other question we're talking about Broadway. How do you think that exit interview went with Drury and Panarin where oh, he yeah. asked him to waive his no trade because he didn't like the way he was performing in the playoffs? Yeah, the reports were basically that Drury was – extremely vocal with his displeasure of Panarin's play in the playoffs, which one, I don't blame him. Like you heard me talking to you about Panarin. Um, but apparently Panarin has told, I don't know if it's guys in a room or friends or whatever that the, he played that way because Gallant told him, don't fuck around. Like this is the playoffs. And it kind of like threw Panarin off of like his instincts of, well, can I do that? And then he started second guessing himself and then he was behind the play and he was just never able to kind of catch up to it. 
Um, if that's the case, Gallant, like, what are you doing? The guy got you 100 points this year. Just let him play. Like, if he misses a four check once out of every, like, 10 times, but at least the offense on the other eight or nine, live with it. Put a good draw on his line late in the game then to cover for Actually, hold on. Right before we're signing off, they're, uh, they're about to hand out the GM of the year. Let's see who it's going to. GM of the year. It's got to go to jury. <laughs> you, you stiffed my boying net. Rough. You got to get the general manager of the year, the Jim Gregory Award. He's walking out to the podium. Let's see. I'll, I'll put the volume up so we can hear it. Oh, the that's... winner is the great Joe Deep, 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 deep,